see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot, paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. The beginning of a new world. <laughs> the best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is, is the Black, Black Cat, Cat Report. Report. See you on the other side. In this episode, we'll be diving into the fascinating close encounter and abduction of Tom and Elise Gifford. The series is going to be a pure nightmare. The story reads like a mix of Saw, War of the Worlds, Nightmare on Elm Street, and The Conjuring all wrapped into one. How it hasn't been made into a horror movie is beyond me. As you'll soon come to see, this is by no means a typical close encounter. Veering on the edge of impossible, even for those studying the fringe, it pushes the boundaries between what we typically consider extraterrestrial, extradimensional, and demonic. Now with that out of the way, I've got to ask you a favor. I'm going to need you to down a cup of coffee, then get really, really high and turn off the lights. We'll wait. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't. Okay, so I'm going to tell you guys a story. This goes with the episode, so it's relevant. Um, I was at Well Played and my friend Victoria gave me a gummy and, you know, it was just like a round gummy, like a donut little gummy. And, um, Gilbert asked me if it's, it's better if I, if I get high during the episode because it's scary or not. And it literally brought me back to that night. It was a few weeks ago and I ate the gummy and I started getting so paranoid and then suddenly I look out the window and I always check the weather every day and it never said it was going to rain. And I'm looking outside and it's raining. And then I saw this light like up in the sky and I was like freaking out and I was like, oh my God. And then the room just got smaller and the noises got louder. And then I look outside again and it was this Oh my God. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of the Black Cat Report. If you're catching this on the day that it drops, we all want to say A, you're the goddamn Merry best, and Christmas. B, if you're into a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry mm-hmm. Christmas. Happy, Happy holidays. Hanukkah. Feliz Navidad. Mm-hmm. All of the above. Kwanzaa. Hope your cat's having a great birthday if it's cat birthday day. Hanukkah, yep, yep. Hanukkah. Um, so my name is Gil, and I am joined tonight on this very frosty evening by the incredible, impeccable, respectable Selena. Hello. And the only person to have ever outquestioned Socrates himself, Betsabe. Hola. <laughs> Our fantastic comrade, co-host, talented musician, and producer Joey is unfortunately forced to sit this one out tonight as capitalism is heartless and we haven't found a sponsor yet that will cover our cat's lavish lifestyles. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, people need Hit their pizzas this weekend. It's true. Um, so, Joey's kind of like a hero right now for all the people. Mm-hmm. He's flying some other saucers. Well... <laughs> <laughs> With that said, our primary source for the next two shows will be The Mojave Incident by Ron Filber. If you love horror and UFOs, I cannot recommend this book enough. It quickly became the best book I've ever read 
when researching for our shows. And I assure you, while we will be going deep into this fascinating experience, we'll still only be scratching the surface of what you'll learn if you go out and grab yourself a copy. Links on where to find it will be in the show notes. Now let's begin. It was October 20th, 1989. Growing more and more eager to finally hit the road, Tom was anxious for his parents to show up. Normally the stereotype of a busybody planning and running construction projects around the city, this hunting trip would be the perfect getaway for him and his young wife, Elise. And although she was far from a fan of hunting, Elise was very tempted by the idea of a break from taking care of their two-and-a-half-year-old son, Tom Jr., and their five-month-old daughter, Zoe. Even if it was only for a few days, an extended weekend together, away from L.A., camping in the Mojave was exactly what they both needed. Well, Tom's main goal, almost an obsession really, was to bag a large mule deer he had missed on his last hunt. He wanted to sweeten the experience for Elise and make the hunt more tolerable. To do this, Tom had borrowed his dad's pickup along with a large camper shell attachment and planned a number of stops for sightseeing and blowing off steam. He even had a few sweet moments in mind to make the most of the time spent together when he wasn't hunting. By 1 p.m., Tom's parents were at the house, ready to take on their weekend babysitting roles while Tom and Elise closed up the tailgate of the truck and hit the road. Unsurprisingly, they spent a fair amount of time stuck in L.A.'s stop-and-go traffic before finally breaking free and continuing on their way towards the desert canyons of Nevada. Once they made it across the state line, Tom, smirk on his face, lifted a large jar of quarters from under the driver's side seat and shook it, saying to Elise, quote, Casey forgot, this is a vacation. I thought we might want to stop at Whiskey Pete's to try our luck at the slots before we turn in for the night at Midhills. Cute. My grandparents um, love going to casinos. I, what is it with one-armed bandits and grandparents? My grandma, when she was with us, like she was so into going to the casino and like just. Doing oh, I was like, what the hell is a one-armed bandit? <laughs> like, I was, another name for a slot machine. I was like, excuse me, I have two arms and I don't steal <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Well, one-armed bandits are twice as able, so. Um, but, so, fast forward to around 2 a.m. They were getting back into the truck, smiles on their faces after spending the night drinking, dancing, and winding about 150 bucks, which, when you calculate mm-hmm. for inflation today, comes out to about $7.5 billion. Okay. Just kidding. It's about 360 bucks. But (laughs) I digress. They got back on the road, making their way towards their intended camping spot some 90 miles away before finally being forced to pull off the desert highway due to an intense fog rolling in. Comfortable with the complete isolation from the world, they drove the truck a little ways off the road into the desert and camped there for the night. The next day, October 21st. Elise and Tom drove towards the campground they intended to stay at the night before, taking time along the way to coast along unnamed back roads and look for signs of mule deer Tom had seen the weekend before. By the time they made it to the campground, Tom was in shock to see that every single spot in this remote area had been taken. The campground was full up, something he had never heard of or seen in all of his years of coming out there to hunt. Like, this is a campground in the middle of nowhere, and it's in the off-season. 
they get there i think the quote from the book was you couldn't even fit a tent in this place it was just slammed what year so, was this tom was pissed 1989 oh that's when <coughs> i was born <laughs> um <laughs> i was gonna say maybe he posted on facebook like damn i saw a huge mule deer and then it just got like reposted <laughs> to death Oh shit. MySpace. But um wait, when did MySpace start it? Not in nineteen eighty nine. So so yeah. Um Facebook Facebook posts aside, this was this was super rare. This was weird. Um they even saw a BLM, a Bureau of Land Management um worker there that owns and operates the land. Yes, not Black Lives Matter, but they do blander. But that's not what BLM stood for at this point in time. Um, They saw a BLM worker, basically a park ranger in in this case. Um, And he was like, yeah, I'm confused too. I've never seen so many people out here. He was shocked. This dude works there, right? So they were pissed. Um, Elise was definitely looking forward to like, you know, uh, an outhouse and running water and showers, things of this nature. And so Tom was like, yep. Tom was like kind of kicking himself and like doing that relationship thing where he's like, we shouldn't have did that really cute thing that we just did yesterday that meant a lot. And like, I regret this. And he's like, damn it. We should have just drove <laughs> straight here and not gone. To so Whiskey he's making things worse. Evening. Yeah, he didn't. I will say during this entire book, Tom has an excellent demeanor and I really do feel like he's trying to be a great husband. And so some of the things like that, like he didn't really like drive it home. This is kind of stuff that comes out later where he was just like, I was regretting that at the time. He wasn't like rubbing it in Elisa's face and making it all awkward. He's, he's actually like a, a pretty chill dude. Like he's actually like a really good guy. It's sweet. I think that's, that's the vibe I got from them. It's like, they're a very loving couple that have gone through a lot and like, he tries to be the best dude he can. So respect i'm just saying is this like a real couple like do they exist or it's just a no this book? is a hundred percent like based this on, is a like, the real, real account event i'm not oh okay you yeah, read no, a book is... about it yeah this is straight got up it. yeah we'll we'll get to some of the confirmations and like how the story got written down and recorded later um in part two but um i didn't want to dry everything up at the beginning of the series and be like and this is why this document matters you know <laughs> um but yeah trying to yeah, trying yeah. to jump to the juicy stuff so i mean i just have to say like yeah maybe he's trying to be sweet and stuff but he doesn't know how because who in the world thinks that's a good idea to take a wife that just had a baby five months ago camping She's to go hunting. She's like you take her to the spa <laughs> or to just a nice hotel room with a pool and yeah, nice get her a massage. Like, what in the world? <laughs> yeah, get her a fucking massage. All right, all right. So a I, didn't, massage. I didn't include <laughs> I didn't include yeah. this. I didn't include this in the story, but now I see that I should have. This is why there should be more more um Context. gender diversity in writing the scripts. Um just across all genders um but uh but there was discussions and stuff that took place in the book where like he had missed the shot while he was out with his brother and his father the weekend before this like you know glorious mule deer on this like big hunting trip and he was like bound and determined to go back part of it being driven by his own stress of like work and life and all this other bullshit going on 
but he felt incredibly guilty about leaving two weekends in a row because he really wanted to spend time with her. And they actually had this long discussion over dinner where he was like, hey, would you want to come with me? Like, this means a lot to me. And she's like, I don't know. I'm not really into hunting. And he's like, well, there's this site and there's this place and there's this and there's this and there's this. And like, and he knows all the land and everything out there. So he kind of knows like all the cute, like romantic spots on the side of cliffs and all these beautiful areas to watch stars. Um, and he's like, I, I would love for you to come out here with me. Um, so it was kind of like a, Hey, I'm really being driven to do this. I know this isn't the best thing in the world. Would you consider it? Also, my parents said that they would come babysit. So like, how about a break from the kids? And she was like, yeah, I want to break from the kids. That sounds nice. <laughs> like, I guess this is my only chance. <laughs> no. I know, right? I didn't I didn't get the vibe, but I don't know. Y'all got to read the book. Come back. Come back with your opinion on this. <laughs> since I read the since I did the studying, I did the homework over here. I'm going to say Tom was trying to be nice. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, for the future guys that are listening to this episode, don't plan your trip and, and then the- try to <laughs> invite your wife to the trip you planned for yourself who just had a baby (laughs) man if y'all are getting if y'all are getting up in arms now just wait till later okay so (laughs) let's see um (laughs) it was then and much to the dismay of elise that that he decided they should drive deeper into the desert closer to where he planned on hunting basically it was like there's no campgrounds available we might as well just drive out to the area of the desert where I was planning on hunting. I can go hunting early in the morning like I was planning on doing. It'll make the hunting day shorter. We can spend more time together, do more stuff. Like, where are they going to go? The campground's full. Like, they have to camp in the desert somewhere. Somewhere um, else? A hotel? Hmm. Like, give up? Dude, it's... Do it, something nice for your center. wife. <laughs> oh, my God, y'all. Y'all, we are on page three of the I know, but he's just like, well, I gotta catch that mule deer. He it was an obsession. Gotta was, catch them all. I'm in a weird role trying to defend Tom, and I don't even feel that strongly about that. So um by that evening, the truck was crawling into the mouth of a tight canyon before finally stopping for the night, leaving the couple with high cliffs on the sides and an opening flattening out to an unobstructed view of the vast, flat, and desert terrain. Although Tom grew up hunting out here and seemed to know every square inch of the unnamed roads and trails, Elise couldn't shake the fear that they were making a mistake and were vulnerable to some evolving fate. Regardless, they settled Mm -hmm. down and made camp. I realize now how many times I should have included all the cute little stops they made and how significant that she explained it was. Anyways, night fell quickly in the canyon, and by 7.30, the couple were in awe of the towering 7,000-foot tabletop mountain glowing in the dark. It held this majestic beauty underneath the stars, only a quarter mile away, or, in other words, only the length of 1,987.82 beanie babies in the distance. (laughs) By now... By now, Tom had steaks in a large pan sizzling in butter, wine at the ready, and marshmallows queued up for cuddles and stargazing. He was doing everything he could to put a smile on Elise's face and distract her from the growingly dark, intrusive thoughts she was feeling. 
basically it was a lot of small cues about like what if this happens what about this we're kind of out here alone xyz she was having a lot of fears about it and then Tom's he's kind like of sitting no, no, there no, 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 and baby. he and then it all happens no. He, Your he feelings had, are not valid. He had been hunting in this area since he was like 15 and camping out basically in this spot or within like an eighth of a mile of the spot since he was like 15. He's like in his 30s now. So he's kind of like, hey, I know you haven't come out here. I know you haven't gone camping, but like kind of like I, I do this all the time. I've been doing this with family for years. I can basically name every damn tree out here, <laughs> you know? Um, Mansplaining. <laughs> so... Midway through cooking dinner, Tom found himself reaching into the camper and pulling out a lantern when suddenly his jovial, confident air left him. He could feel himself being watched. Slowly glancing around, his eyes lifted to view a massive light pulsating above the ridge of a nearby mountaintop. As if on cue, the moment he was able to focus on what he was seeing, the object began dropping, seemingly with intention below the other side of the mountain literally just like oh shit saw me and <laughs> started like creeping <laughs> away yeah okay bye. <laughs> bye it took Elise shouting back to Tom from the fire that the stakes were starting to burn to finally break Tom's attention he shook off the residual chills by telling himself it must have been some I don't know experimental aircraft from a nearby military base while answering Elise's concern by saying it was just a shooting star that caught his sight he was trying to blow it off she hadn't seen it, but could see the concern Tom was wearing clear as day. The two went on to settle into the evening, wrapped in a blanket and talking about the stars and wildlife before making their way into the world now that the desert heat had left with the sun. Tom knew a lot about the outdoors, and naturally, quite a bit about the constellations now beaming down with the moon forming shadows across the canyons and plains. Elise pointed out different stars and asked questions while Tom shared what he knew. Eventually, this led to a now somewhat notorious moment. Shortly after Tom told her about double stars, which revolve around each other, making them appear extra bright, she pointed over to an area of the sky and said, quote, Well, if that's a double star, these must be triples, because they're a lot bigger and brighter than that. Terrifying. Turning his head... <laughs> Turning his head to see what she was pointing to, his heart sank into his now sour stomach. Nine large objects, shining like small white suns, were floating in the sky. Tom immediately felt terror grip him while Elise, still curious, asked earnestly what they could be. In an almost comically conditioned response, he blurted out, Weather balloons. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it I knew it <laughs> she looked at him with a pissed off expression knowing he was lying to yep. her but still continued to talk through it pointing out how they look metallic how they are positioned perfectly yeah, together the like they're connected terrifying this scene yeah this scene these objects floating in the sky went on for quite a while long enough for Tom to go get coffee at the camper and think about packing up and leaving. This is not short. It's not just like, oh, it's there. It disappears. It's like, they chill. They sit. They stare at it. They talk about it. They go back and forth. Like, is that weather balloons? Is it not weather balloons? And, like, it's kind of like a an understood lie that's happening. And Tom's just kind of, like, freaked out. Reason being, 
he had had a flashback when he first saw that that orb that appear that appeared above the mountaintop when he was going to grab the lantern. He had had yeah. a flashback to a fishing trip that he had had with his family when he was a little boy, one that he had basically suppressed his whole life because it scared the shit out of him and it honestly left him with some kind of like PTSD. So like he was in straight up shock. There was an orb. They were fishing early in the morning. It was like, I don't know, like 4 a.m. or something like that with his friend. I think his friend's name is Ron. Um, And they see this orb and they're like, what the hell is that? And they're just fishing. They're like little kids. I think they were like seven, eight years old or something. And then this orb jets across the lake towards them and they literally are running with all their stuff. He falls on the ground and this orb is like hovering above him. Scares the fucking shit out of him. He gets up, doesn't even look up after he realizes it's above him and just runs back to the camp like crying. So he was having a flashback when he went to get that lantern. So part of what's happening, part of why he's saying it's a weather balloon, it's partly to calm down Elise, but also partly to kind of calm himself down in the moment. He's like, I just, I just want to think it's this. I just need to think it's this. I don't, I don't want to like, he's been trying to suppress this thing for 30 years of his life. So Wow, Tom's not the bad guy you think he is. Anyways, um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so this scene, um, these objects just floating in the sky went on for quite a while. I said that. Well, like I said, he had time to literally go get coffee and think to himself, maybe we should just pack up everything and leave. They should have. But the couple stayed and settled into a silent observation, a hypnotic mixture of fascination and fear curiosity and a consuming need for closure they just couldn't look away at what they were seeing like what is that it it seemed so non-intrusive yeah were they white oh you know it yeah Um. i was gonna say that's some white people thinking huh let's just watch it tom and yes i'd be like i'm going home (laughs) I know, right? Like, mm, no. I've seen this movie. <laughs> we don't do well. Yeah. <laughs> There's no happy ending. They should have, but the couple stayed and settled into a silent observation, a hypnotic mixture of fascination and fear, curiosity, and a consuming need for closure. The silence finally broke between them when the objects began blinking back and forth in such a way Tom and Elise knew instinctively the objects were communicating like ships passing messages silently in the night there was an obvious code to the pattern of their call and response this officially broke the mutual lie they had kept up between one another from a tinge of anxiety Elise shouted they're not stars and there are no damn weather balloons Tom came back with uh could be uh, experimental aircraft from Nulles Air Force Base or 29 Palms and and the Marine Corps aren't that far from here. It could be anything. It was about then with no sound or warning all nine objects vanished. Tom and Elise began frantically looking around the night sky before finally realizing the objects were a few thousand feet up directly behind them positioned now in the shape of an M. Oh my god. Oh god, no. Yeah, no. Ooh. I'm getting goosebumps. A couple oh, Those goosebumps. 
<laughs> Los Goosebumps. <laughs> Shout out to What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show. Y'all are the best. The couple began to go back and forth, Elise openly saying she was scared, while Tom admitted he had no clue what the things were. He tried to reassure her. It, it was probably military, and if not, he had guns to protect them. She immediately picked okay, up on Tom. this quote. You said if it's military. Like, you don't think it is. If it's not military or our military, what could it be? He tried to get her. those answers, girl. He, he tried to back yeah. up his statement, reassure her of more confidence that it had to be some government thing, but he only managed to bring the tensions down enough to crack a, a nervous laugh before looking back up in the sky. Quote, holy shit. There were now hundreds of objects flashing signals to one another. Are you serious? Girl, if that's what gets you, just wait. That's <laughs> terrifying. Gotta... We are... I don't think I ever heard a story where there's like hundreds. <laughs> you know? I told you, I warned you all at the beginning. This is not going to be your expectation of a typical close encounter or an abduction or anything like that. But it gets vetted like hell later. And that's what kind of pushes it to like, uh, oh, shit, did this happen it holds as much you know credibility as a lot of people's stories around abductions and things mm -hmm. it it meets the standards of most of the ones that are kind of um propped up in the community it just does not fit the mold and so get ready for a goddamn ride a stillness took the moment tom and elise sat frozen in disbelief by the sheer number of glowing orbs flying in the sky like angels at the ready, waiting for Gabriel's horn to announce Judgment Day, there was a pressure of anticipation, a growing weight of gravity pulling seconds into the perception of minutes. This lasted until, from this suspended moment, movement broke through. Quote, slowly at first, like parachutes floating, free falling downward so gracefully, so easily that it seemed indiscernible at first. So they stared, captivated by the prospects as dozens, no, hundreds of the glowing white objects traveled like falling stars down and across the black onyx sky, end quote. Still very much in the Cold War era, Elise screamed, it's the Russians. The Russians are invading. <laughs> Tom, no, no, it can't be. Fuck, it can't be, he repeated, then began kicking out the campfire. Get in the truck, he screamed to Elise finally. I'll put out the fire so they won't see us. She hesitated. He shoved her. Get in the goddamn truck. Elise. Oh, now you're listening, Tom. Elise was consumed by terror unfolding. The objects, the hundreds of lights, were now landing in every corner of the desert. But worse, it started to dawn on the couple that the grounded objects were now moving at a rapid pace towards them. Still sitting, Tom grabbed Elise and put her on her feet. Quote, they're coming to get us, she muttered. There's no road. No road out there, Tom said to himself as much as her. But they're still coming at us. End quote. He took her by the hand and they ran towards the truck where he quickly grabbed his shotgun and rifle before yelling at her to get into the camper. Still, more of the objects were landing, each one quickly racing toward Tom and Elise. He took position, pointing his rifle towards the approaching objects. Quote, Come on, you motherfuckers, get in my range. This whole time, Elise was pulling at his arm, begging him to stop. 
Through the blur of emotion, he finally heard what she was saying. Quote, You can't do anything. You can't hurt them. There are too many of them, and they're too advanced, too advanced for us. Tom looked to her as if emerging from a dream, suddenly aware of her tugging at his arm. Don't you hear it? Don't you hear what they're telling you? She was screaming. End quote. Ew, what were they saying? He looked at her, confused, and recommended they get in the truck and leave, but she pointed out how these things, speeding through the desert towards them, weren't even on roads. How the hell could they possibly outrun them? Yikes. Okay, so this is her basically being like, Tom, wake up. These are not Russians. They're from another planet. I don't... I don't remember it saying anything like that, but, like, there's an important transition. But just, like, basically. It's kind of like, whatever the fuck this is, do you see them speeding through an open desert, no roads, towards us also? Did you totally miss the part where hundreds or thousands of them started falling out of the sky in front of us? Like, and also don't think... hearing them? Yeah, she yeah. could hear them? Yeah. Nah, you caught that. Um, So... We're, we're going to get to that in a second. I, I don't want to just like gloss over that. But so there's that. They all appeared in the sky. They all started dropping down. They all started like rushing towards them. And this truck bar- like struggled to barely make it into the canyon. And now it's like pitch black. It's like super dark at night. And it's like, and now you're going to try to get the truck out. Like we're not going to be able to get out mm-hmm. of here. That's like the reality. And, and there's in a, a situation attached. like this. Yeah. And like in a situation like this survival mode, it's like, do we run and hide? Right? Like, that's a legitimate thought. It's like, okay, they may have saw where the fire was, but can we go hide in the canyon? Can we go here? Da-da-da. If we're in a truck, we're kind of like a lit up target moving on a road that's super loud. This is very impractical. Like, Tom, what the fuck are you doing? You can't shoot thousands of these things. You probably have like 20 rounds for your guns, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Obviously, they're pretty advanced. You just saw what they did. Like, chill the fuck out, dude. Right? Well, and then, and then also the line of, don't you hear what they're telling you? And this is when it gets weird. <laughs> Lisa is now regularly starting to hear and then talk for the things approaching them. Changing her voice between speaking her own thoughts and their messages like someone possessed by a demon. After telling Tom, mm-hmm. quote, you were right the first time. It's the camper, the back of the camper where they want us. Come, come on. And then pulling him in. Once inside, Tom opened the back window of the small truck camper, resting his shotgun on the closed tailgate before he started yelling, Come on, you bastards! Trying to psych himself up for the fight. Elise grabs his arm and starts to cycle through voices, quote, Don't, don't do anything to hurt them. Don't do anything to hurt us. Put the gun down. You you have no chance. Put the gun down. You have no chance. In the end, you'll you'll only get us killed if you try to harm them. In the end, we'll kill you if you try to harm us. Oof. Woo. That's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I know. I hope you all are squeezing your little kitties out there tonight, or your loved ones, or... I suppose dogs work too, or, you know, fuck it, a pillow or uh, uh, 
I don't know, stuffed animal. If you don't got a pillow and you're still listening to this podcast, sell your phone, my man. I'm just saying, like, you need a pillow. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Or wrap up your hoodie and put it into the actual hood spot. That's what I used to do when I when I hop trains. Um, I know. I got my blanket here. Mm-hmm. Well, confused as hell, Tom turned around to look at her. Who wouldn't be in that point, right? <laughs> you're just like, what, what the yeah. fuck is going on? Speaking terror with her eyes, she lifted her arm up and pointed behind him. Mm-mm. Nope. Standing just a couple feet from the end of the truck were two beings facing them. Bluish gray, like sparks of high voltage and standing about three feet tall and two feet wide, they appeared to be phasing in and out of form, like they were still tuning into this dimension. The mesmerizing sight of these things was only paralleled by the overwhelming smell of sulfur now saturating the air. Tom nearly fainted at the sight, falling forward, barely catching himself on his hands. In that exact moment, the two beings rushed towards him, stopping the moment he caught himself. When he sat back, they stepped back. They were stationed there as guards. Creepy. Creepy. This reminds me of another episode. I can't put my... That's it. that's what I was saying. Which it was it sounds like they're the same beings of the one with the lady that gets uh, kidnapped. The Andreessen well, affair? The... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds just like them. They were doing the same thing. That's what I was saying. Oh, they, didn't... they didn't threaten her, though. They just no, looked the same. No, because she was... They they didn't because she was like all about doing what they wanted, you know. Like she was very obedient. That's what they never threatened her because they were like she's doing whatever we tell her to do. But like the way you're describing, it sounds just like them. There's a lot of crossover, like a lot of similarities um, between past episodes. So we have, um, and I've said this in the past. Don't ever quiz me about our own shows. I have to dump ninety percent of my memory every week like clearing space on a computer for for shows um but it, it does remind me there's elements of like the andreessen affair which if you're ever feeling too anxious during this episode picture betty andreessen <laughs> in this situation and what she would say and that got me <laughs> through having any nightmares because i could just picture her here and she would be an absolute gem to comedy <laughs> Oh, oh, hello. <laughs> like, she just wouldn't even be phased by any. Oh, it looks like we have some guests for dinner. Um, So, yeah, she would be yeah. she would be fine. <laughs> like, everybody needs a Betty Andreessen in their life to get them through these terrible times. Um, But there, there's know. moments of that. And then there's um the Berkshire UFO incident. There's going to be scenes reminiscent of the Berkshire UFO incident. And I would even say, um, going back to to shit to episode one and two do you remember when um when remy and jose were seeing the creatures and they were having a hard time literally because they were like phasing in and out of perception in front of them like there was even that scene where they went with the with the sheriff and with um uh jose padilla's like father into the canyon after they were like what there's nothing down here there's nothing down here and they like and they both they all saw the ship kind of like phase into existence, even though they were looking straight ahead the whole damn time. And like, 
So oh, there, yeah. there's kind of like elements of that that are starting to stir into it. And again, the, these are all kind of like breadcrumbs to a larger, like this story may not fit with our typical, like I saw a light, woke up on a ship, woke up in my friend's yard with my head, you know, in a pillow of dog poop. Oh my God, that was crazy. You know, not to make fun of experiencers, but it is like really random ass events that happen. And then it's like, you know, hypnotic regression. I remember everything now. Like, this is really crazy. You know, this, most of this story is not coming from hypnotic regression. Most of the story they are conscious for, they are aware of, and they more or less record the events pretty damn close to when it happens. Then they have hypnotic regression and other parts get unlocked. But that's in episode two. So it's, there's breadcrumbs here. <laughs> um, sitting as far back in the camper as they could, Tom and Elise stared at the two beings, trying to make sense of what they were looking at. After a few minutes, Elise's focus finally broke long enough to look out the camper windows and realize that not only were all of the objects no longer hovering in the sky, but there were thousands of pairs of glowing red eyes moving all over the canyon and in the desert. The eyes slowly approaching the outside of the camper until the shape of the beings could be seen. They looked like gremlins, three foot tall with heads no larger than a cat's, translucent torsos and skinny limbs. Once more they were hyper, running around, they, quote, frolicked like child monsters among the amongst the sagebrush and the juniper the shroud of the desert wash where they camped end quote the situation led to sheer panic Elise now convinced they were going to die started hyperventilating Tom did the best he could to keep her calm before finally he broke and started shouting at the guards quote what do you want what the hell are you going to do to us like we have rights we have a right to know we're human <laughs> beings we have a right to know no response <laughs> just cold stares Tom started moving towards the guards slowly crawling on his hands and knees in the camper closer to them all the while they matched his approach until when they were both inches away from one another quote he reached out to touch the one nearest to him with his right hand then recoiled <laughs> I would have done the same <laughs> then recoiled as the burning sensation of an electrical shock ran up from his fingertips through his outstretched arm end quote after asking him if he was okay Elise began begging him to promise never to do that again the moment was short lived though while they were talking she noticed terror glaze over Tom's eyes as he was staring over her shoulder. A massive, disc-shaped craft was appearing, slowly descending from the haze of a cloud until it hovered barely 100 yards above the ground. And that's where we'll pick up next week with part two of the Mojave incident. Thank you all so much for joining us, and I hope you don't hate me, but trust me on this one. There is a lot more to this story. We could probably make like a five-part series out of it. Also, just want to point out, 
I'm pretty sure we're only at like page 45 of the actual 200 page book. Go grab a copy if you're anxious for it. I I mean it when I say I ain't getting a goddamn dime from promoting this book or anything like that. I just honestly loved this book. You can ask Selena. I read it barely in a couple days. I was waking up early before work just to read this book. Like it's it's sick as fuck. So go grab a copy. Links will be in show notes and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Black Cat Report and the Mojave Incident. We can't wait for you to hear part two of this completely bonkers affair. And this is just the beginning. Remember to always like, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate all of you and hope you have a wonderful holiday with whatever and wherever you celebrate. For us, we're excited for the new year to give you even more exciting content. And always remember, we'll see you on the other side.